I feel that much stronger. I feel like I, I'm giving a voice to that child as early as age 13 who really wanted to say unapologetically, I don't believe a goddamn thing you're saying and I'm not coming to this church ever again. Every minute that I'm talking to you, I feel better. Like, I feel stronger. I feel like I'm honoring her. She who knew better a long time ago, but was not given the strength to follow her intuition. This is the airing of grief. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 3, Episode 2, A Greater Presence. Hey everyone, welcome again. It's Kevin. So, a few years ago, I was at a large concert venue for a show. The kind of place you'd expect a flashy, impersonal rock performance. And yet the way that the artist began his time on stage was oddly intimate. When he came out, he first encouraged everyone to put their phones away, and to not worry about filming or preserving any of what was about to happen. He said you could never really do that anyway. But what we could do was to be fully here, now, and together. In fact, we were the only ones sharing this moment in space and time. So whether fans or anyone else who just happened to be there, it was a singular moment, a moment to be present in, and a chance to not be anywhere else. And he said there was something special about that, something real. His words rung true, and they stuck with me. And I was reminded of that concert this week while preparing this episode. I'm realizing that Due to the assumptions and biases that I was taught to carry by my particular framework of faith, I've often mistaken presence for transcendence. The natural would need to direct my focus to the spiritual, the supernatural, so my world became one of compartments, and in that world, I was always holding back part of myself in service to something intangible. But the division didn't need to exist, and I realized that whether or not I call anything spiritual now, It all has to be integrated, all here and all connected, because either everything is spiritual or kind of nothing is. Within evangelicalism, we tend to automatically treat moments of presence as moments of transcendence because we're told to always give attribution to something eternal. It's like there's this music happening here and now and all around us, this great symphony, but we're treating it like echoes. When I was coming of age, a lot of things which felt intensely here and now, that were elevated and rich with meaning, those things would make me feel like I should be pivoting to some sort of quote-unquote heavenly idea. Which of course, replaced the here and now with the something else and the not yet. So these moments of intense presence, I diminished in order to imbue them with transcendence, and that took me to a place where their full impact was always for later. The truth they spoke of was later, everything later. And when that's you, you're never fully present because you're constantly considering the implications of eternity. In the midst of great joy or even in tragedy, you're always filtering everything you experience through that matrix. So being fully intimate with your own experience is difficult. 
because you hold each moment at arm's length, because you have to sort through how it reflects on everything within that worldview. All of this is why a deep dive into evangelicalism for many of us has literally amounted to a subversion, a suppression of our humanity. Because this lack of full presence and embodiment doesn't just diminish our experience of the world, but our engagement in the world as well. And that brings us to our callers and the conversations they had with Jamie and Derek. And despite some pesky audio issues with one of them, I couldn't help but weave these two calls together in parallel. The connection was just too good. So let's get into it. Hello. Excuse me. Hello. (laughs) Hi. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. We, you know, for for season three, for our annual brief, we, you know, had decided to kind of direct our stories and how we, you know, collected stories and the stories we shared and the space we shared with people more mm-hmm. in the direction of where we're going and what we're yeah. reclaiming and what is hope and beauty and community now. Kind of what's on the other side and where have people found freedom and joy and... Mm-hmm new life and and rebuilt after maybe things come down and where kevin I've, I've heard say a handful of times where you've lost friends what have you replaced those friends with and where you've lost family what family have you replaced those people with and where you've lost practices and rituals what have you replaced those things with and i've loved your submission that you wrote us about your specific platform that you've created yeah. and that space so yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit just about you and then also just kind of talk, you know, have this delightful conversation about just kind of what it's like to rebuild and create the spaces that we need for ourselves when maybe we can't find them elsewhere. Kind of trying to get a sense of people's lives on the uh, on the joyous other side mm-hmm. of kind of reconstruction. And, and um, I, I had read that in your... Um... Yeah. Description of season three, and I actually almost was like two hours ago. I was gonna write you and say maybe we should do tomorrow or the next day because today's been such a crappy day. Oh man! Well, you know what? That's okay though because I don't know if I'll be able to focus on the reconstruction. Well, we'll just touch on the deconstruction, and then I'll get. That's okay. That's okay because (laughs) it's also I think important for people to know that on the other side, like one thing that I know has come up with me is like when you find yourself at a point where you are kind of permanently uncertain about invisible things, which I think is a pretty good way to go when it comes to invisible things. I think uncertainty is a pretty good way to go. And, but what you find is that that uncertainty kind of cuts at everything. And that sometimes even the new things that you come up with after you spent some time with them, you wind up realizing maybe you're not certain about them either. And you wonder if you've Mm -hmm. made a mistake and you haven't. It's, it's just Mm -hmm. that life goes on and you go on having, seasons of doubt, even about your doubts. And then there's nothing wrong with that. So I think <laughs> the fact that maybe you've had a rough day and could model some of that in a realistic way for us could actually be the best thing. So yeah, um, it's, well, just a, it's just a space for you to tell some of your story and I'll let you make those choices. Yeah. For me this morning, it was just a, another, another one of those dreaded emails, a, uh, an uncle-in-law that just continues to send me devotionals, even though oh. I specifically said, Please do not. And uh, but he really believes that this particular devotional from Rick Warren in uh, in Chicago is mm. going to change my life yeah. and bring me back. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's 
<laughs> well, and, and I don't know how you feel about that, but I try to see things like that as an ex- ultimately an expression of care. Hmm, yeah, it's definitely. Be- it's because somebody does care, and, and mm-hmm. I try to receive that part of it and then and then trash the rest. <laughs> Have you um, always been able to look at it that way? Or when you were first coming out, um, did you get more angry? I think that the, well, and, and I've obviously, um, way to turn my interviewing of you around to an interview of me, but I, and which, which I will, which I will not allow, but I, but I will say that I think the nature of my deconstruction or whatever, and the, the motivation and season of it was so humbling for me that mm. I think that anything I could read as kindness, especially when you're starved for it. Mm-hmm. Even someone reaching out with a Rick Warren devotional, to mm-hmm. me, I remember at the time thinking from the very beginning, uh, I was looking for, I was starved for that kind of kindness. And I think I remember oh, okay. even from the beginning feeling like, oh, well, this person took the time to write this and I think they care about me. Even if, e- even if, they're, even if it's a misguided, like I, even if it feels to me like it's probably a conditional kindness because yeah. they're trying to get me back on their team. Yeah. Um, I still tried to receive it as that, but anyway, oh, so that's, that's but, honestly, that's really helpful. Okay. So back that. to your story, you were saying you received yeah. this email from this uncle. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I honestly, that was really just sort of the tip of the iceberg. It's and it kind of triggers you a little bit, you know, just having to convince myself all day, every day that I'm not broken. Yes. And, and then this reminder that I am broken, that, you know, pe- that people still see me as broken. Yes is really challenging and I have to, you know, there's a lot of self-talk afterwards. Like you're okay. Do you want to be who they are? Do you want to have that life? Is that what you, you know? And um, so it ends up being an entire day at least of, you know, just trying to sort through the thoughts of that. And that's just one, that's just one little email. So, and the trendy word, you know, triggering is, it's really true that, you know, these things, do just suddenly and uh, thank goodness, yeah they do yeah and thank goodness that there is an online community that exists because I mm. did truly believe that I must be broken there must be something going on until I was able to connect with all these people and like this podcast and mm. and I find the most interesting thing is that many of us are very like-minded in that we are passionate people that mm. when we were in we were all in that's right like, we, it, there I was is the same way, yeah. This is more of a, I feel like this is more of a personality profile thing than it is a faith thing even. Because our personality, mm. I feel like our personalities are such, at least mine was, and I know a lot of people that I was going to be the worship leader. I was going to be That's right. totally dedicated. If I was going to, if I'm in, I am all in. Yes. And then once I came to a point of having to face the truth that I didn't believe it anymore, well, then I couldn't just kind of be in. I couldn't go and sit there. And I, I did try That's for right. years. I tried to sit in the service for years and I'd, I'd be listening and thinking, ah, oh, this is just crap. <laughs> You're just making up what you want to hear and what you want to, you know, what you want the people to hear and what, and, um, and I just couldn't do it anymore. So now I'm at a place where I, I literally cannot be in, in a church service. I've tried a few times and, um, mm. but I don't go, I don't go. Yeah. I've only wound up back in a situation like that a few times and it is confusing. I mean, it's, um, and I, and I feel like for me, it was, 
more an act of luxury because I was just like, I, I want to stay open mm -hmm. to finding truth wherever it may be to be found. And I don't mm -hmm. want to rule out that it could be somewhere um, mm -hmm. unexpected. And so I would want to check in every so often. And, but mm -hmm. it, it, it is fascinating that um, just how differently all that felt. It's, it's just, um, it's messed up. I'm really, really happy to be mm. out of that. Yeah. Where do I start? <laughs> I know, I'm like, I just threw 13 things at you. It's <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I haven't told my story a million times. Right, I, I yeah. know my story well <laughs> enough by now. But yeah, so I'll, I'll just tr try to dive in. And if you want to reorient it or, or push it forward somewhere else, just mm -hmm. let me know. Cool. But my name is actually a pseudonym because I don't really want my full name out there. Mm -hmm. But I am the co-host of a podcast called Everyone's Agnostic, which is something that's happening to me at the age of 36. Mm -hmm. But I started having doubts about all of it when I was maybe 13 or so. Yeah. And it's, it got pretty bad. It was very cyclical. It was, you know, I, none nothing made a lot of sense to me. Like I had a lot of questions about the Bible and I didn't really get many satisfying answers and found myself kind of straying and, you know, being tempted by the word atheist. And sometimes I would even call myself that, but I lacked any kind of self-confidence to really just settle down into my doubts and just mm. let them guide me. So a lot of stories I've heard is people have doubts and then they follow those because they trust themselves and they trust their critical thinking. But the the way I internalized the messages that I received were, you know, the heart is a wicked thing. Our body is uh, this mortal, wicked shell mm. that mm -hmm. is constantly being affected by demonic forces or whatever. So, you know, while I'm trying to listen to this critical thought on one hand, on the other hand, I'm fighting this narrative that I might go to hell. Right. Yeah. You know, or that I I don't have the ability to think about this critically because I'm a sinful person uh -huh. and this is the devil. And so <clears throat> my my path out of Christianity was extremely painful mm -hmm. and extremely traumatic because everything inside of me was telling me that this is bullshit. But mm -hmm. I kept, you know, I kept um, doubling down, yeah. like insofar as to become a missionary. Mm -hmm. Same. Uh, it's weird yeah. how, and it is, it is funny how in contextualizing that for people on this side of it now, or people that knew us then, where the way I put it to one woman, once who tried to kind of call me back into the fold, um, was like, what you perceived as dedication was actually desperation. Because yeah. I kept trying, like, more and more and more and new levels and new levels and more intensity to try and make myself feel the thing that I could never actually feel. Right. So it is, it's interesting how we will pour ourselves into what looks like devotion, but actually we're like chasing this shadow of a thing we can't seem to find. Yep. That's absolutely right. And that's absolutely how it was for me. Like every new step that I took that further galvanized my Christianity was absolutely a step in overcompensation yes. or like trying to prove myself. I feel like a lot of those steps were me trying to prove to God that I'm, no, I'm super serious. Yeah. Like I am really, really trying, like I'm trying to prove it to you. And now like, as I say that out loud and I try to like 
put that onto like another relationship in my life. Like if I would go around trying to prove myself constantly to someone that I loved, <laughs> that's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody would call that a healthy relationship. No, no. But yeah. like everything gets thrown out the window when it's this deity. Yeah. Like it's just a fucked up relationship. And I never realized it until I was really out of it and deconstructing it. So like I said, yeah, I, I doubled down and I became a missionary and did a lot of missionary stuff for mm. several years, moved to Mexico, like gave up mm. everything, well, marginally everything, mm. uh, you know, uh, gave a few years of my life to that work and all the while still struggling with my faith, feeling like a horrible person because I just couldn't, I couldn't make it work. It just kept yeah. on, the doubts just kept on coming back. and. Yeah. So anyway, to make a, the long, long story very short, um, I gradually deconverted and I would love the story to be that I found myself and I settled into myself and now I'm living my life fully and authentically. <laughs> However, the way that my life played out is that the loss of my faith was devastating mm. And a lot of things showed up in my life to try to protect me, but ended up being really harmful, yeah. such as like um, I developed an eating disorder mm -hmm. um, that stuck with me for several years that I had to get help for. And then just a lot of really bad mental health issues like a panic disorder and a generalized anxiety disorder, which I think were already there before mm. faith, but genetics plus religion. Yeah. So like I would say like the last 10 years, or so since deconverting have been a lot about healing for me, mm. like just picking up the pieces. It's been hard for me to, I describe this period less as moving forward and more just like trying to pick up my body parts that are scattered yeah. across the universe because I was destroyed. Yeah. And so that's been a lot of what those 10 years were about. And now, in the last few years um, since I, I had kind of a nervous breakdown in the end of 2013 where everything kind of culminated and I got to that point of like, well, either you want to live or you don't because mm. this this is, <laughs> existence is devastating to me and coming to terms with being mortal is devastating to me after having been told that I'll never really truly die. Yeah, and th right. that was really painful mm. and something for me to work through. All of me, all of me, all of me is here. After a few months of suffering through repeated attempts to attend services, I arrived at a place within myself where I couldn't help but get the message. I had to stop going to church. I knew I was not okay that my body was not okay, and I needed to figure out what had happened. So for the first time since the day my seven-year-old self prayed the salvation prayer in my pastor's office, I allowed myself to prioritize my own needs over the social and cultural expectations placed upon me by the religious community I was a part of. It was the first time I gave myself permission to leave because I knew I had to take care of myself. I gave myself permission to find the peace to stop going, stop trying, stop hopping from one expression to another in an effort to make pieces fit that were simply refusing to do so. I gave myself the permission to stop chasing the shadows of feelings I had been blindly running after for so long, 
desperately trying to convince myself that I could actually feel. I gave myself permission to engage with doubt and the questions and to acknowledge that the certainty I had longed for had never once arrived. It took significant trauma, my body expressing things that my mind and spirit couldn't understand, for me to finally do what I needed to do and to give myself what I actually wanted for the very first time. It was my body reacting the way she reacted, getting my attention through the anxiety, the depression, the compulsive patterns that finally woke me up. At the end of my rope, my own body's communication with me saved me. My own body's signals sent to me by way of physical imbalances are what rescued me. Once I finally left the influence of evangelicalism, I began to hear my own inner voice again in ways I hadn't been able to since I was a child, since before I had been required to call her voice the voice of the spirit of an angry male God. Once I left, I had the permission and the ability to begin to reintegrate those previously separate parts of myself back into one whole identity. And that was the beginning of the end of my religious belief. It was incredibly painful. I lost almost all of my closest relationships, my social structure, my meaning-making mechanisms, my sense of purpose, both temporal and eternal, and lost all sense of direction and desire for work in this world, as the only skills I had at the time were ministry-based assets. I had to completely start over. As an adult, I had to learn how to make friends, to make independent decisions, assert my individual identity, find hobbies and interests, experience shame-free sexual exploration, reorient myself towards pleasure and desire, and discover my true self for the very first time. But I But then the last few years have been amazing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the story I want to get to for your show mm-hmm. that like um, I've been really settling in, in into myself and mm-hmm. enjoying myself. These days I can't stop talking about how much I love who I've become. Yes. And oh, <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, getting on everyone's agnostic and um, I've appeared on a few episodes of secular sexuality before oh I became God. a co-host. Definitely. Yeah. I love Daryl so much. Oh my God. I know. He uh, like, he made a huge difference for my mm-hmm. growth in terms of like overcoming sexual repression mm-hmm. stuff. And so like, that's about like moving forward with these, this baggage that we carry with yeah. us from, religion. And, you know, some of that for me is sexual and some of it is about self-esteem and some of it is being fearful all the time because we were raised in a culture of fear, fear of our bodies, fear Mm -hmm. of the world, fear of anything that doesn't fit within the parameters of what our life is. So it's been exciting for me the last few years to really find my feet and to look at those fears in the eye and not turn away. And even though I'm still afraid, it's that courage to stand there anyway and to just 
be present with that feeling that you get, this terror that you feel and say, I can feel this. Yeah. Like that's that's a phrase I always am using when I'm dealing with really intense feelings. I'm like, I can. Yeah. I can feel this. I can be present for this. And maybe I'm going to be shaking. Maybe I'm going to feel like I'm going to throw up. Maybe I'm going to feel like I'm dying. But I can be here for this. I don't have to run away. Yeah. Um, so I've been confronting a lot of fears in the last few years. Like I come across things in my path that terrify me. And nowadays I get an adrenaline boost out of finding something terrifying uh-huh. because I'm like, ooh, ooh, look at this. Yeah. I, this I just think about doing this and I just I just want to die. I, I can't wait. I'm going to do it. <laughs> this is uncharted territory. I get to be curious yeah. about this thing. And when you were talking a second ago about how fear was instilled in us on such a level, I talk to my clients often about how we were literally made to fear experiential information because mm-hmm. we were taught that what was correct for us was to just be certain, but be certain about things that we have never actually firsthand experienced. And then they kind of said that, you know, experiencing certain things was dangerous. A big part of us, you know, developing our own thoughts, opinions, ethics, beliefs about anything, but particularly as it pertains to sexuality, especially, yeah. it can't just be this, you know, conceptually, I think I would like this or enjoy this. Like it ha- your whole body has to be there. So you actually have yeah. to learn how to gather information and knowledge and wisdom experientially. And when you first start doing that, you truly feel like you're doing something wrong because you were taught for so long, like you're supposed to just know what is right and wrong and correct and incorrect and good and bad, but never touch it, never go down that road. And so you do, it is interesting when you notice that over time where that fear, that anxiety reaction you might have does start to like alchemize into more excitement (laughs) and it might feel the same in your body, but you're like, actually, Ooh, this is new. This is a mystery. That feels kind of cool as opposed to this is a mystery. Don't go there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All that stuff really excites me now. And like now I'm, yeah. I'm living like a life that I'm, I'm super excited about mm-hmm. and I feel really good about myself and getting on the podcast has been such a boost. Mm-hmm. And cause I have so many things to say and so many feelings yeah. and shit that I'm processing from what I've been through. And I have so much that I want to give too. Yes. And I have so many conversations that I want to have, like you mentioned about the different seasons that you have on your show mm-hmm. and the different parts that each respective season may address. It's the same way. Like we want to have discussions about, well, what the fuck did we just go through? What the mm. fuck was that? And to kind of look back and to dissect that experience and dissect that trauma. But then there's also that conversation about, well, now what? Like the present moment, like now how do I heal from what Mm. I went through? And then the third conversation is about, well, now, okay. And then now that I feel a little bit more healed, how do I move forward in this world? What is this world about now that I feel grounded enough to be able to look around me and see things a bit more objectively. And I think the reason I like our podcast so much is because it really centers around the idea of agnosticism, not Mm -hmm. in like the traditional sense of I am agnostic, but more loosely in that we don't know. Yeah. Like, and that's the most beautiful thing I think that I've gained from releasing religion and from healing from religion is the comfort or the um, 
getting comfortable with not knowing and not needing to <laughs> right yeah right so maybe that's the the thread that we pull and kind of see where that you know takes us like because I have a, a similar feeling and I, I feel like some of what I read that that you sent along previous to this call it seems like you have found yourself at a point where you you have found some real joy and you have and and you prefer the joy and freedom that you're feeling on the other side of having um, gone yes. through as hard as it as hard as it's been that it has yeah. been not to use a word too soon but redemptive it's been mm -hmm. worth it maybe absolutely that is the one thing i will say and even yeah. Even though I feel like, honestly, there's days like today where I, I was like sludging through mud today. Mm. But overall, would I change? Well, first of all, I don't have a choice. I can't change. There's That's no right. Choice. Sure. Um, but if I, if I could, no, I wouldn't. Because um, the biggest thing for me is that I have... Um, I always say I accidentally started a nonprofit organization. Hmm. And that's because I had been in and out of this school volunteering for years in different capacities. And it's an inner city school in, in the downtown east side of Vancouver. And one summer, my daughters and I all got lice at our summer cabin. Oh. We were snuggling up on the couches and reading and whatnot. Oh. Yeah. And so I came back and I thought, oh, my gosh, what do those kids do if their parents can't even get them to school in the morning? how do they take care of these types of needs? And so I just right. wrote the teachers that I connected with there and I said, how about I come in and maybe I can scrounge up some friends and we'll just, just give us the, uh, the work scenario kids. And so we started something called the Seymour. Well, it, it ended up being called the Seymour spa. That's the name of the school. And, um, and we go in and we comb the lice out of the kids' hair and, um, and we paint their nails and style hmm. their hair and whatnot. But um, through that school completely, completely unexpectedly, um, it, that school has ended up being where a large percentage of the Syrian refugees go. Wow. And so I have just, it's been so cool to be on the other side and not be looking at these. I'm sure you can relate to this feeling because I feel like everyone knows it. When you suddenly don't feel like y it's your responsibility to save somebody or change mm. them, it's such a relief. And so to look at, um, to hang out with these kids and just genuinely love them without that attachment and that, um, yeah, just that, that, that thing in the back of your mind that is saying, what does God want me to do here? What is he, what is he saying? What is my point in this? It's just like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do your hair. You just tell me which, <laughs> which is your favorite headband, you know, like what, and, and it's so nice. And I've ended up connecting with, families and um just just in the last week actually my daughters and i ended up being invited to have a barbecue at a park with these beautiful syrian families and learning all this new culture that in the past would have really been scary for me hmm. and uh you know it was just honestly the most magical magical night like uh, it's in my top 10 you know memories of life it was so mm. beautiful and to not have the judgment is mm. just so freeing. I feel lighter than I ever have. Mm. And just to be able to say, I don't, I don't know. I just don't that's know. Right. And that's okay. It's okay to not know. And it's, it's actually wonderful. It's yes. better, so much better than, yeah. than being like, I know you don't. And that was that email that I got, you know, this morning it was saying, 
I know and you don't. And I feel, I actually feel sad for my friends and family that still have that viewpoint because Mm. it is keeping you from a life that is so much bigger and so much more beautiful. Yes. Right. I I totally agree. And this, and it's like the, it kind of gets into tricky territory here, but, and I even tried kind of writing something about this at one point and it just got too nuanced to put on the internet. But, um, but it's, it was basically the idea that like one of the fundamental ideas behind Christianity which if you've ever heard the four spiritual laws, you know, like early on after we find out that God has a wonderful plan for your life is that all of, you know, sin and fallen short of that, of deserving Mm -hmm. that. And so then we need, you know, so there creates the need and now, but you know, Jesus has done it and you do this and it's the bridge over the cavern. And you know, that's what all the tracks, you know, were when I was in high school. And, but any worldview that requires that I see myself as a piece of shit Mm -hmm. is, Already, I have some questions about. But in addition to that, the idea that it's like what you, what I think I did. It took me a while to realize is that whole concept is kind of such a core limiting belief. Just operating from like a presumption that there's something. It's exactly from what you were saying, you know, right off the bat. Is like operating out of the out of the assumption that there's something fundamentally mm-hmm. broken mm-hmm. that needs repairing that is out of your skill to repair. And I I just, I think it's like, for me, it's been this slow, like the lights kind of slowly coming on in different parts of the house of realizing that at the core of a lot of the ways that I've seen myself is this, is this, it's like the limiting belief behind all limiting beliefs is that I am somehow inherently from pre-birth, I am, fundamentally broken in need of forgiveness and repair mm-hmm. um, before so, before I even yeah. commit my first act good or bad I mean that's mm-hmm. what you know that's what the Psalms get into and that's what is that you know I was it's that sin is a condition not a behavior it's it's the condition you're born into because of mm-hmm. because of Adam and and so I'm fundamentally flawed and sinful and broken and it's just it's crazy the longer you drift away from that idea on the other side, you realize how pervasive it is into the way that you see yourself in every way. And I, and it's taken me a while to, for that not to be my presumption. Oh, well, I must be wrong, or I must have bad motivations, or I must be. It's like, no, that's, that's not true at all. Um, that's not fundamental to who I am. And yet I was re- it was required that I believe it was fundamental to who I am in order for Christianity to have made sense and to have been required for it. For it for a savior to be required, you need saving. Saving, saving. yeah. Right. And I, honestly, I never. And and I think back to it, and my that wasn't coming from my family. I, I never got the feeling that I was less than or that I wasn't. But it was really hmm. just I was that personality type from the beginning. I'm just a passionate person that when I heard scripture, even back to to Sunday school, and most importantly, to summer camp, which I think a lot of people, you know, that's where you have those amazing experiences. Like, you know, you you have these moments where you're just thinking, wow, like, and so it wasn't even that I was, I was not given these, um, these ideas from my family or from people around me, but I did know that I was a sinner. I was born a sinner. I needed to be saved and I needed forgiveness. And so I dove deep into that just on my own, even without um, Mm. outside influence. And now coming out of it and just, it is a huge thing to be able to say, 
wow, you know what? I'm totally good. I am really a pretty great human. Like my heart's desire is to love people and to, and to serve and to help. That's just who I am. That's not because of Jesus. I always thought it was because of Jesus that I had these, these desires. And now where I'm on at a place where I don't know. And and like I said, I'm not going to say I don't believe, or I do believe I just know. And it's a quite a comfortable place for me. I realized that just who is, is actually a pretty good person. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm really trying to pass on to my, so I have twin 14 year old daughters and, Mm. and I'm just trying to, pass on as much confidence and self-love that I that I can and just reminding them mm. constantly who they are, how they're gifted. Yeah. Not because it's something that is outside of them. It's, it's actually in them. It's who they are. They were born that way. They weren't born sinners. Mm. They were born, they were born good. And it's um yeah, I it's it's a game changer. It's a game changer for me and it's it's a game changer for me as a parent to to be able to um the girls still go um they do go to church um with their dad and they uh they go to a pretty liberal church and um and they enjoy it and I'm not opposed to that one bit, but I also just want to make sure that they understand that innately they are they are good and yes. humans. So. And if they have that, that additional bit of information to weigh against what they may be hearing yeah. in their church, that, that, you know, okay, so here's this information, here are these opinions about how mm-hmm. things work and about who you are, mm-hmm. and, but here's a little more information that you get to also weigh in against that and decide what rings true to you that mm-hmm. maybe you're not fundamentally broken, or mm-hmm. even if you go through seasons, hard seasons, maybe you have all the resources in yourself to be able to navigate that, or at least between you and other people who love and care for you, that you know that that repair may not be in its nature supernatural, and therefore your remedy may not be as well. <laughs> absolutely, and, absolutely. And what a liberating thing that might be to realize, oh, maybe actually I have everything I need right now and right here, and maybe yeah. there is nothing anyone can sell me about myself because and I actually that have all that realization yeah. will give them the space to get farther than I ever did spiritually mm. or whatever, because there's not the guilt that's involved with it. That's right. I think you're doing yeah. a really great job. Oh, thank you. Gosh, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're ending your day a little better than you started it. In that Absolutely. Case. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. But, you know, like, I'm never going to be like, oh, it was worth it, or I wouldn't change a thing because it made me who I am. Oh, fuck that. I would much <laughs> rather that it didn't happen. Yeah. And at the same time, it is what it is. It is the reality. Yeah. And I am. I really like who I am, mm-hmm. and I like how everything that I've been through has contributed to being someone that I'm in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the choices that I'm making. I like the temperament that I've developed. Mm-hmm. I like, I just kind of like myself and that's really new. Yeah. Sometimes when I think about, you know, who I am and what I do now and how, I mean, on some level, none of that would exist had I not had the background that I had and came from the, you know, specific, not just religious background, but intensity of that religious mm-hmm. background. That might be true, but I don't like the idea of giving it credit. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of like, isn't it stunning how committed my body was that whole time to remaining who she is Mm -hmm. and how she was this, even in the midst of 
abusive rhetoric and manipulative behavior and psychologically maladaptive teachings and just things that were harmful and hurtful. Isn't it incredible how she maintained and survived? And now we are here because of that. And it's something, you know, in, in recent trauma therapy processing, I've actually been processing the, like doing EMDR processing for the Mm. day that I got saved at six years old. Oh, wow. And so validating and recognizing that that experience was deeply traumatizing and that that was like the day that everything shifted and my world became unsafe. And in trying to kind of imagine what my life or any life or the world could have been like had you know, had that quote not occurred, it's really difficult because that affected everything. I mean, it was, um, it's not so easy to just be like, what if a different decision had been made that day? It's like, I I mean, I still, I was still a part of that religious narrative in church and Mm -hmm. I went to a a Christian school and it was present in my family. And Mm -hmm. I did 10 years of faith-based life decisions post, you know, my one year attempt at college. And I mean, it was, it was everything and it was everything for a long time. And so, um, it is hard sometimes to think about, like, I'm trying really intensely to shift away from that. Like it made me who I am. Like, fuck that. No, it doesn't get credit. Like, no, I'm so proud of my body for surviving. And she's the one that called me out. She saved Mm -hmm. my life. I'm so glad I get to freely celebrate her now. I love what you said Mm -hmm. about like, it's someone I'm in love with and I get to like own that I'm in love with her and, and it's her, she did it. And so I think that, you know, it's this very, nuanced and specific life experience of, all right, let's close that chapter and then move on. And yet there's always going to be some kind of part of us that remembers that chapter. And a lot of what we're doing now is, I mean, arguably kind of reactionary to that chapter because I, I don't want that faith framework to exist anymore. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm going to do what I can to get rid of these toxic teachings. But, and then on some level, my whole life is lived with that kind of in my rear view mirror. Yeah. And I don't know, it's fine. I don't hate it. I don't particularly enjoy it. But the bottom line is that I am really proud of, of who my body has been so committed to becoming in the midst yeah. of it. Yeah. I think there's something extremely healing about reflecting back and seeing yourself and your choices with compassion, hmm. uh, like you're saying, because a lot of the narratives I hear from people who are um, recovering from religion is a lot of frustration yeah. and shame and embarrassment mm-hmm. as they look back at their behaviors. And I'm on on the same page with them. Like yeah. I look back and I'm like, well, I don't know what the fuck I was doing saying <laughs> like so much stupid shit and mm-hmm. making really stupid choices yeah. and not exercising autonomy <clears throat> or self-trust or like having honest <laughs> debates with people and just mm-hmm. letting them bowl me over. Like mm-hmm. it's hard to look back at that and, and love myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I and I like what you're saying because I agree with that. That the more compassion that we can put on our our, our former selves, I think the better we can move forward. Because sometimes I feel like the me back then, and I don't know if this is some kind of like a maladaptive uh, coping mechanism, but sometimes I just feel like what happened back then was just a story that I've read a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't feel like it was me. There's like some kind of detachment that my mind does from that experience. Same with like my first marriage because it sucked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's a coping 
mechanism and it also just might be partly just true because yeah. I mean your whole self wasn't there no, truly true. honestly like my my whole self my whole being my my body I have a lot of experiences from that period of time um childhood adolescence early 20s that like yeah it there's some some weird spots in the way that I remember them as far as like I don't really feel like I was fully present for that and then there's this like voice in my body being like yeah because you weren't (laughs) because I didn't feel safe so I didn't go with you I knew better and I'm like oh okay that's right that makes sense and that makes me think about how, how religion encourages something that I think that most people who are still recovering from religion are still actively dealing with. Because it's not like you deconvert and then all of a sudden everything mm-hmm. is fixed. It's not like you show up yeah. to your marital bed and you've waited until marriage for sex and all of a sudden you know how to do all the kinky things. Like, yeah. you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have a lot more work to still do. Yeah. Um, and religion can cause this kind of disassociation mm-hmm. um, between your mind and your body yeah. um, for many reasons. Um, one being that your body is supposed to be evil and yeah. fleshy and of, of the, the world. And so you're supposed to look at it with suspicion. And then and then in tandem, they overemphasize your identification with your mind, which yeah. they call it like a soul. It's yeah. your um, identity, your essence. And so they reinforce this sense of dual Mm-hmm. And so that stuff can still hang on yeah. even well after you've deconverted and you've let that shit go. There's still, at least for me, I'm only speaking for yeah. myself. Like there's oh, yeah. this, very common. This, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this lingering distrust and disassociate, disassociation from my body. And that plays into so many things mm-hmm. that I struggle with. It plays into the anxiety disorder with, uh, you know, I can't be with my body because I don't trust it. And mm-hmm. so it makes the anxiety worse. It plays into my sexuality that I don't feel like I can feel the sensations in my body because they're too associated with the purity culture Mm -hmm. that I was taught. Um, It plays into the eating disorder that I developed because I can't trust my body to tell me what I want or yes. to soothe itself right. and so I have to you know force control, it to control restrict yeah. or yeah. indulge and push past a point of you know natural inclination to stop or yes. not even allow to start mm-hmm. yes yeah exactly yeah. And so there's a lot of work to be done on mm-hmm. that um for me over the years and it's it's still ongoing but yeah. I I I really I'm really grateful for the place that I am at in Mm -hmm. life and lots of really exciting things are happening for me in that I'm able to be on this show where I get to talk about this topic, which I'm extremely passionate about. I I love talking about recovering from religion, even though Mm -hmm. I'm in a pretty good spot. Um, but I, I like, I love talking about it. It's so intriguing to me and it's healing to hear my voice. Every time I speak up about the trauma that I went through, I feel that much stronger. I feel like I'm giving a voice to that child as early as age 13 who really wanted to say unapologetically, I don't believe a goddamn thing you're saying and I'm not coming to this church ever again. Mm -hmm. And every time I talk, every minute that I'm talking to you, I feel better. Like I feel stronger. I feel like I'm honoring her. Yeah. Uh, She who knew better a long time ago, but was not given the strength to follow her intuition.
in my coaching work, my whole paradigm that I, I work from is you don't just have a, a body in the traditional sense that you might have been presented before that your body exists and is there as an object. Your body is a person. Mm. And that person is a person that you are in relationship with. And when you recognize it relationally, all that pressure of, I have to fix myself now, or I need to heal this now, or everything you're talking about where it's like, it's a process and that recovery takes time. The pressure of needing to get it right tomorrow, or maybe even yesterday disappears. Mm. Because if your body's not an object, then your relationship with your body's not a project to complete. Mm. If your body's mm. a person, that person is someone you're in relationship with. And we, I mean, in no other relationship with any other person do we expect to arrive at some place where we're beyond the need for communication and further mm. learning and, and getting it wrong and apologizing or yeah. expecting that that person's going to go through their own growth and shifts and change. And so it, yeah. it takes a lot of pressure off of, you know, things being a three-year, 10-year, 19-year, 30-year process because we're like, wait, any length of time that I'm in relationship with any person, it's going to be a three-year, 10-year, 19-year, 30-year process because that's yeah. what relationship is. And I feel like that if there is an antidote to dissociated, dichotomous, mm. um, you know, authoritarian religion, it's embodiment. It's that, yeah. and that's the yeah. way. Yeah, and like just quickly, like the one additional additional word that I think about in this conversation is uh, settling into your autonomy. Mm, yes, I love the word autonomy. Yes, oh my I'm god, I'm in charge of my body. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely. In, there's no further words I need to say. I am in charge of this yeah. body. Nobody yeah. else is. I get to make my choices. I don't need to talk to the people I don't want to talk to. I don't need to be in places Mm -hmm. I don't need to be, I don't want to be in. Mm -hmm. I can leave this church. I can step away from this horrible sermon that makes me feel like shit. I don't have to sit here. You absolutely have autonomy. Mm -hmm. There's no God affecting you. There's no devil affecting Mm -hmm. you. It's just you and your systems and your bones and your joints and your muscles. And that's, that's you. And every day is new and you're always learning. Yeah. And, and, oh, yes, I love that. That's yeah. beautiful. I really do appreciate your, your being willing to, to share some of that. I mean, it's helpful for me personally, I can tell you, because, I mean, I, that's the road that I'm on as well. And that's, that, mm-hmm. that's what I'm aspiring to. And, and I'm very resonant with that story. And I think, I think a lot of people will be and will really appreciate hearing some of what could be ahead, you know, so... Even Honestly, on, even on hard days. Yeah, and even just this conversation, you're right. It does. It it absolutely, you know, connecting with other people that yep. are on the same path is. is just it it changes everything. So thank you to you guys for having this podcast and for um, mm. for what you guys do and for taking the time. I'm celebrating your journey and thank your you. your path in and how you are utilizing what you're finding there and offering it to the world for the sake of you know their healing and their ability to yeah. come home as well and I feel like that's that there's so much meaning in that and um there is really beautiful thank you so much it's been a privilege uh we we do this because we need it so thank you so much again and uh, I hope we get um, to speak again we'll talk soon oh thank you Derek all right bye bye nursing a baby has been the most in-body experience I have ever had especially in those early days. Eventually I've switched to reading a book or watching a show or scrolling my phone mindlessly, 
but in those early days, two hands are required, full attention is required. And if I can say it, it is the most holy and transcendent yet present thing I have ever experienced. Your body is literally sustaining and giving life to someone. You're connected to another human being in a way that is indescribable. I used to describe it as prayer, and I think I would still say the same thing, but in its purest form and in its most delightful form. It feels good, and it feels right, and it feels true. And I know not everyone experiences that, but for me, it was everything. Hello again. I know that was a packed one and there's a lot to consider. You can hit us up on socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and let us know your thoughts. Now, the big question this week is, what have you found to be the safest place for your heart? Where do you take refuge these days? And what's changed? Let us know. Click on the pull-down menu at our website, theairingofgrief.com, to leave us a message. And it might be featured next week, like the part about an in-body experience you heard only a few moments ago. If you liked what you heard musically and want to hear more, check out our producer Derek's website, derekweb.com, and there is no shortage of good stuff to be found there. Related to that, the first track from my remix of Derek's last album, Fingers Crossed, is now up at our Patreon. Also lots of bonus episodes, unedited calls, and extra interviews going back to 2017. You can check us out there to support this work and help us keep doing it. We have a private, safe Facebook page for all kinds of questions and discussions, and any level of patron support will get you added there. Around the midpoint of this episode, you heard a small portion of You Are Your Own, which is a great work by our own producer, Jamie. Head to jamieleefinch.com for the full audiobook. As always, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you sharing the podcast with anyone who might benefit from knowing that we're holding this space for them and for all of us. And that's all for now, so we will see you again next week after church for the airing of grief. Thank you.